0: Hello, you're listening to episode 37 of the Roasting Room Soundboard Podcast, hosted by Jordan Ross and Trevor Harden. In this episode, we begin a series on the future of music distribution in the digital age and speak with Kevin Bruchert, a now local producer. We also preview tracks from the upcoming acts of The Sea, The Sea, and Lynn Avenue. Let's begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Roasting Room Soundboard Podcast. I'm Jordan Ross. I'm Trevor Harden. I'm Kevin
1: Brushert. Kevin? Hello. What are you doing here? I don't know. I just <laughs> appeared out of nowhere. You weren't here, and then you were here. I, and then I was here.
0: Kevin Brichardt is a an artist that has kind of been transplanted here. Let's talk about you just very briefly before we dig sure. in.
1: Yeah, um, I've been in the area for about, unbelievably six years now, Ooh. and uh, but was in Nashville, Tennessee for, for about five years before here, working in the music industry, doing uh, music production, songwriting, um, things like that. So
0: Great. You're going to be a huge asset to our talk today, with the music, kind of the future of music in the digital age, and how we're going to dig into that kind of thing. So before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk about what's happening this week at The Roasting Room.
2: There's a few shows. Yes. Starting with Thursday, a pop-up show that no one knew about until here we are.
0: Yesterday afternoon, got an email from The Sea, The Sea that says, we need a place to play. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, we've got a stage and people that might want to hear you.
2: The Sea, The Sea. That's S-E-A. The Sea, The Sea.
0: Tell me more about them.
2: Well, com. if you people want to go check it out before you purchase your tickets. They are an upstate New York-based indie folk pop duo band. Um... The Huffington Post, with their high praise, says two of the loveliest male-female voices you might ever hear this year or any other year,
0: any year ever,
2: ever, in all the years.
0: When I received the email, of all you know, I, I get a lot of them, and I listened to all of them, and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time to receive it and listen to what they had sent out within a couple of minutes, and I called, I, I called the person. Like I don't call people. Right. Ever But I'm like I need, to, I need to talk to this manager immediately And basically like yes Let's, let's do, it. do it Yeah, Whatever it takes to do it Let's do it
2: Well they've been on um, NPR American Songwriter uh, Buzzfeed, Pitchfork A TED conference they're, they're a happening group
0: The last time they were in this market They were um, direct support for Head in the Heart In oh, cool. Charleston So they're, they're on their way they were releasing a new album in June. Um, this is what track off of that new album. Let's listen to Good for Something, The Sea, C, The Sea.
1: C. Heard you when you called, I heard
3: you say it all, I heard your heart twisted. A friend I heard something missing. The leaves were telling time, the leaves all fell in line. They did what they had to, said what they had to say, each went a separate way. Without showing. the only choice you thought you had was all nothing. But things can never be so bad that they're not good for something.
0: That is the sea the sea. This Thursday, fifteen dollar ticket. Get up here. Do yourself a huge favor and your friends. Just come up and listen to this amazing band. They're on their way to South by Southwest and they needed a spot. Cool. So this Saturday we've got Lynn Avenue,
2: Lynn L Y N avenue.com, If you want to check them out, they're a uh, country,
0: genuine country female led, female led country
2: duo, I believe.
0: Yep, CC Witt Ellington. Um, those guys are. Whew. They do a. I want to say like a almost like a Dolly Parton style um, sound. Hmm. Like she's got that. She's got big voice, um, charisma. They're just a lot of fun. And they're packing the place out. They've already sold about 50 tickets. Wow. Yeah.
2: That's one of the advantages of kind of being somewhat locally based is that you can bring a big old crew with you.
0: Yeah. So if you want to check out Genuine Country on Saturday night, Lynn Avenue, get your tickets now.
2: Genuine Country that I think is a little bit uh, leaning on the folk, folky side, right? I mean, they're, they're young and hip. It's not, sure. When I hear Genuine Country, I kind sure. of think I have a different picture in my head, I think.
0: But Absolutely. Well, let's listen to um, one of their new tracks called Kentucky Bourbon, which they're going to be in good company here. With all the Kentucky bourbon? (laughs) So let's have a listen to Kentucky Bourbon, Lynn Avenue. All
3: I want is some Kentucky bourbon, none of that stuff off the vine. But if I can't get some Kentucky bourbon, I'll settle for some Tennessee shine.
0: The night is long to so make you a double for me How does Lynn Avenue, Kentucky bourbon? Well, that's fun. Yeah. I, I, I've got to be
2: honest. I was a little surprised. I thought that was... I, I was expecting something a little bit more uh, f- folky and duo-y.
1: Yeah, we're, we're talking about shuffles here.
2: Yeah, this is... A, it is more genuine yeah. country. Yeah, no, country. it's good.
1: Yeah, I think... Just even when you were playing it, we were mentioning how the there's sort of this weird blend of, of different influences. There's sort of this blue, like this bluegrass lyrical content, mm-hmm. you know, like the references to like White Lightning and stuff. Yeah. I just remember that from like like growing up listening to old old bluegrass records. But then there's like that Dolly Parton thing that you're talking yeah. about and the vocals and it's just this mix of a lot of different genres. You got folk and bluegrass and old country and and but it kind of mixes into this new hybrid kind of presentation and i think it sounds really great yeah
2: and with some cool young energy
0: definitely
1: you know it's not a bunch of like
2: old dudes (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it's 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 cool that they're young
0: yeah it's with (laughs) the shuffle yes definitely (laughs) so that's going to be a a a boot stomping type of fun saturday night love that avenue
3: I say, over You say, just a holiday by Elsa. I say, I've been working late, working overtime. Haven't seen the sun since '69.
0: Next week, we've got a big week at the roasting room.
2: There are four shows in a row at The Roasting Room. That's uh, pretty pretty amazing. So we start with uh, Wednesday the 14th with Peter Mayer and Brendan Mayer. And who is Peter Mayer?
0: Peter Mayer is the lead guitarist for Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band. He has been with Jimmy for 28 years. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's very cool. And
2: uh, judging from at least that song, he's doing something a little little bit different than... Yeah. You know, it's not, There's not a
0: whole lot of yeah. There's not any steel drum, right?
2: Yeah, or songs about like sharks and stuff. <laughs> right.
0: right. There's a time and place for that. There
2: is. No, no, I'm not. I'm not dissing. The man sells out arenas all over the
0: world. Absolutely. So Peter's coming in with his son Brendan, and they're going to do a lot of uh, two-part harmonies, tell a lot of stories. I'm sure his stories from the, the road are incredible. And it's presented by Next Home, our friends Next Home, Chris Bowes. He's the man. He's the guy that got Peter in the room, really. Chris is the one that made it all happen. Amazing. So nice. back to the whole idea of this is a community, and we all do this kind of together, and together we can do some really cool stuff.
2: I love it. So they have, they have an album with um, ten songs written by Peter and Brennan, and then they they also have uh, their take on three songs, it didn't say which, from Paul Simon, James Taylor, and Jimmy Buffett. So at least judging from the song we just heard, that is kind of a, Paul Simon, James Taylor sort of vibe. So yep. I think this will be a really, really cool show.
0: Absolutely. There and are they, about 20 tickets left.
2: And they call it the long story short tour. So maybe they'll be telling lots of fun stories.
0: Yeah. And it's a short tour because they're almost like a mini tour. Because right now, Jimmy Buffett is on a national tour and they're doing stops in different cities. But in between those stops, Peter likes to pop out and do other stuff. And we're one of those places. That's that he super gets to fun. to do other stuff. That's great. So we're very happy to have him in on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we got Doza St. Marie and Joe Smith. Okay. Selling well as well. We're about 30 tickets left to that one. Uh, uh, the Do- Doza St. Marie is from, yeah, they're from LA. They toured with Rick Springfield um, most recently. They've got some friends in the area, and their friends reached out to us and said, hey, Here's their email address. I would love to host them and have them come in and play, and I'd buy a bunch of tickets to it. Great, fantastic. Let's do it. And they did. And Joe Smith is a kind of an upstart country starlet, and she's a really good pair for these two. Um, so that show will be beautiful, amazing. Friday night we got Morgan Wade and the Step Brothers. This show was originally in September, right around Irma, and we had to cancel it and move it to now. Uh, so this show is. Big voice, um, Morgan Wade is... I think we
2: talked about them on the podcast back then. We I, did. I, I remember, did. yeah, the gritty Southern rock.
0: Yeah. Uh, she's got a big voice. She's got the, the, um, the Janis Joplin grit. The, um, they're young. They're very young and, and kind of looking for places to play. And I heard their material and said I, they, need a, they need to get a shot at it.
2: Yeah, flashbacks to Janice Joplin, Stevie Nicks, or Melissa Etheridge. Yeah. Uh, I remember her voice. It's, it is. It's great.
0: Yeah. And then um, Saturday night, we've got As Husband and Wife, local songwriter series. They are husband and wife duo, naturally, as husband and wife, as the name implies. It'd be weird if, if they, they weren't. Would be, that would definitely be. Maybe it's like a <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> right. uh, but Andrea Miller, Gino Miller. Oh, I can't say enough about how wonderful those two people are.
2: Well, if I recall correctly, the last time that they played here, you mixed down their music, and I believe it got you rather it verklempt, <laughs> or whatever I was, the word is.
0: I got a little emotional. Yeah. Um, especially when the cello came in. Yeah. On the end of that, uh, the track, um, Words to Say, which they have on YouTube, um, and we have it on the website, but wow. I heard that cello come in, and I just melted. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can't even do this. I had to take the headphones off.
2: <laughs> That's great.
0: So yeah. That
2: was a burn burner sort of a week.
0: Yeah. And all of them are high high quality, as we always do here at the roasting room.
2: High quality and quite a bit different from yeah, each other. What a
0: variety. Yes. So Yes, absolutely. So get your tickets now. They're they're going fast. Um we're looking at probably two at least two sellouts next week. Really close. Great the rest of them hey, there may be four sellouts let's make it four sellouts
3: all of my pretty friends moved to los angeles and now they only visit in my tv
0: screen kevin you've been brought here today for a, a number of reasons you are a sound engineer and you have worked here um, you seem to be a guy that's got his head on straight good for you oh it worked. <laughs> My smokescreen. No. But, but the, the real reason that we're here, and we're going to do a multi-part series about the future of, of recorded music in the digital age. Yeah. We have mentioned on the podcast before how the, the, the music from like 1995 and prior was a model that, that made sense to artists to make a physical record go in, spend a lot of time in a studio, put it out, and I'm going to make a living doing it. I'm going to tour on it, and it's going to be great. We're going to sell a million copies. I'm going to be a rock star. $15 a pop. Right. And that model worked. Then Napster hit. Then things happened. So what do we do? Where do we go? We've been doing this now for 20 20 years or so of this new model. And there's still lots of music out there. More yeah. than there ever has. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have slowed no. artists down from making them. So what we're going to try to do in this series is figure out why people are still doing it. Because it's not economically viable like it used to be. And two, what can we, what can we learn from it? How can we, as a venue and as, and as consumers of this music, how can we prop up an artist? How can we get them back to that? Yeah. Or if there isn't even a place for them to go back to. Yeah. So let's first dig in and let's talk about
1: your background in this yeah. whole realm. Well, first off, this conversation is like my lifeblood. I love talking <laughs> about this stuff because music is so alive and vibrant. Like It's always changing. It's such a dynamic industry. And so so even this conversation is going to be a year from now, is going to be totally different. And yeah. So 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 it's an exciting th- topic for me. Um, you know, I worked in uh, music production for professionally for 15 to 20 years. Um, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm from the Northeast. Uh, so so here being in the South, it's definitely a different uh, vibe. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, New York City area, New Jersey, uh, started working in recording studios in the mid 90s, actually um, and started learning the trade. Um, and it was very much a trade back then. Like, I think that's one of the things I'm coming into this weird understanding of, um, I've heard this weird analogy of like the recording engineer being kind of like a blacksmith, you know? And oh, so yeah. like cars came in and people didn't need to shoe their horses anymore. And so it was this right. thing that wasn't needed anymore. And so there's people who are kind of comparing the recording engineer to like, you know, cause now I can just take a computer and, watch some youtube videos and make a record you know yeah and and so the but there's such a beauty in the art and the craft of of making recorded music and and i think there's a little bit of that that's being lost and so being brought up in that in the 90s um learning the trade learning analog tape learning how to like do non- a linear recording like so you're having to do track sheets and you're having to kind of keep a, a mind on what is going on on the tape rather than just seeing it all on a screen and so yeah. learning in that and then seeing the onset of digital and pro tools and logic in the in the early 2000s become more popular and that's when i started getting into um more production i had my own room in upstate new york um from about 2003 until 2006 um and then um was married, started having kids, it changed the dynamic of uh, what I was doing. But I still love making records. And so uh, through a bunch of different moves and different uh, changes for our family, we ended up in Nashville. And that's where um, probably the majority of, 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 of most of the work that I would uh, say I'm proudest of, of took place. Um, was in Nashville um, from around 2008 to 2012. Um, Worked mostly in the Christian and gospel industry, um, did a lot of co-writing, did a lot of um, collaborating. Uh, I was uh, nominated for a Grammy uh, wow. for some work that I did with a, a Christian artist called Royal Taylor. Some people may know the singer is Torin Wells, who's uh, actually doing really well right now uh, yeah. in the Christian market. And um, so did some writing with them, did some writing with uh, another, uh, another band from Texas called Abandon. Um, did some production and writing with them. And they were nominated for some Dove Awards and things like that. And so, so got a really great experience through that, um, working in real studios with real session musicians mm-hmm. and, and kind of learning that world. Um, but also in a period of time, like I said, between like the mid-90s and now, where you are seeing a complete shift in the... I mean, the entire industry has changed since then. And, and in some ways, good um as far as accessibility and 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 just even uh, empowerment there's some really great things with that sure but then some negative ways where it's sort of like you're starting to see more bivocational artists who are kind of not able to sustain themselves just simply from songwriter or songwriting or just simply from album production and album sales they're having to kind of diversify what they're able to do. Um, and so so yeah, there's definitely this conversation is definitely where yeah. where, where my heart's at and, and trying to speak into some of that.
0: So. Definitely. Let's talk about and really the the advent of the internet kind of brought an artist into our living room like they never had before. You know, when you think about in the early nineties and, and thinking about could you imagine if Kurt Cobain had Instagram? And it was like today I'm going to draw on my shoes and this is the drawing like mm-hmm. no one got any of that but now you get ar- access to artists in a, in a really unfathomable um, way like we never had to so does that does that kill the rock star by by doing by having access to them does that not make them a rock star anymore
2: well certainly the the mystical uh mysterious rock star it does i mean you think about like bowie or something back in the day it, it, part of his appeal was just like who who is this creature a- and now yeah. if it's you know here's the salad i'm having for lunch like, it oh, does strip that away a little bit sure i mean yeah. that's that's legit mm-hmm. i don't know that i don't know if that affects the um financial model at all I don't, I don't know well I
0: guess Maybe that's it. the point is does it does it hurt does it hurt an artist by being so open depending on the artist yeah. I'm assuming
1: I think there's a I think there's a pendulum that's kind of swinging so like in the 90s there was that sort of exclusivity there was that idea of like or mystery like what you were saying Trevor it's like it's like oh um, we don't really know what the artist is doing and but we want to know but we don't. And so right. it it builds this sort of like idea in your mind of yeah. what that person's life is like or what that person is. And then the pendulum has swung completely the opposite direction with social media and with all these things where it's like, oh, well, I'm recording today and this is where I went to get a bagel for breakfast yeah. this morning and it's all out there and there's no mystery. There's no question. There's no, everything is all access. And I think that carries over even into the sales and into the industry because we have you know we have spotify we have apple music and they're all inclusive like anything any song you can imagine it's probably on spotify yeah. Like from any artist you know i could record a i could record an album of me playing kazoo this afternoon and it'd be on spotify next week and there's no curation there's no there's no gatekeeping there's it's just if you've got money and you can pay for the distribution fees. It's out there. And so so you have this very, like, saturated market that's very all-inclusive. And there's not really any kind of... Th- there's no there's, there's no and R. Key- yeah, nothing. there's, there's yeah. nobody that's, like, saying this is good or this is bad or this is worth your time or or this is kind of a, a sleeper. You know, there's nobody really giving you that, that. I mean, sure, there's publications that are still writing reviews and things like
2: right. that. Well, and I think that's partially what some of the... Secondary features of these programs are like Spotify. There's playlists and top-down playlists and yeah. all that sort of thing, where they are trying to curate it so- somewhat.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, I think the the uh, back to the A and R thing, and we have we have just I have beat this thing up. You know, like we need a gatekeeper. You know, because there are so many bands out there. But who needs which a gatekeeper? is great. I do. <laughs> I do as, as someone that has to buy music. I need I need somebody to to do my job basically. Because there are I, I get so many requests and these bands are all okay, but there's but but I have to
1: wade through so many. Can I coin a different term yes. for that though? I think it's tastemaker. Like, I don't I don't think I think it's tastemaker is because because producers used to be that. Right. Like producer like David Geffen was a tastemaker. He wasn't you know, he wasn't an executive. He was somebody who had his finger on the pulse of what was going on in music. Um, You know, I I think that we need more of that happening. But the role of producer has been so destroyed by that all inclusive model but I, I want to touch on something that Trevor was talking about before we went on air because we were talking about this whole idea of like there there being sort of that pendulum swing back of like, is it is it about the exclusivity again? Is it about the mystery? Do we inject mystery back into? It? And is that I don't know if that alone does it, but is that a big part of what gives value to recorded music again? like if we if we stop posting, the trip to the coffee shop and and the hey here you know be a fly on a wall in in our recording writing r- room like like if we if we kind of start holding if artists start holding that stuff back and start a kind of it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz you know it's like pay no attention to the man <laughs> behind the curtain yeah so know, the like,
2: argument against that obviously is that uh, people would say well then th- those people those artists who choose to do that, are putting themselves at a disadvantage against everyone who is being so transparent. I mean, right. that's probably the other ar- ar- argument. But
0: you know, but it goes back to the idea of depending on the artist. Radiohead is my example. Sure. They were they were pre-Wall. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they had hits before 1995 or whatever. But they still, they don't tell anybody about anything that they're doing. And yet when they really, they don't even tell people when they're releasing it, it just happens.
2: Sure, but anybody on a lower tier can't do that,
1: I don't, right? But I don't know about that. I don't know about that because there's, and I, I'm going to kind of plug an artist here too. Um, there's there's an indie band from Chicago called Hidden Hospitals. Um, and, and they're a band that I follow, and I'm actually friends with uh, the guy who who produces their records. and And they have mastered this whole idea of like, they don't tell anybody what they're doing. Like there's very, it's very scarce presence on social media. I mean, you know, their singer Dave will post like some of his thoughts, some of his, you know, just kind of ideas and things like that. But as far as like the videos and the live like there's not a lot of that. Like maybe just little glimpses and, and little kind of breadcrumbs that are left, but but really just enough to keep them in your feed, but not Anything substantial, and then they'll just drop a record like like. So they're dropping a record. I just saw last week that their their new record is about to drop, and they they got some uh, a pretty substantial. I have to look it up, but it was a pretty substantial uh, publication had their first single exclusive, mm. exclusive. It's all right. and so all of a sudden now there's all this hype, and I'm seeing them everywhere on my feed. Like everybody is talking about this record, mm-hmm. and it was like nothing there was it was like went from nothing to like oh my gosh new hidden hospitals next week it's gonna blow your mind right right, right. they figured it out mm-hmm. and i think there's i think it's there i think it's there's a lot of thought and strategy that has to go into it and you have to be confident in what you're doing enough to let it rest because that's the other thing is it has to be genuinely good like as if it's not sure. good right you're, no one cares. But if it's genuinely good and you can hold it back and kind of keep that hype kind of at bay until you release it and then it's like... And then it's go to the races. That is... that remo- That's like a democratic A&R. Yeah. Because
0: the people are sp- speaking, clearly. And for the people that feel like they are disadvantaging them by not putting out a lot, that's that's okay. Because there's lots of people that... Post a lot of stuff that don't really—I don't want to say—deserve to be at that level, but they're not at that level, right? You know, and so I think that's there's there's a huge incentive for bands to kind of be like that.
1: There is—I'm going to say something that is not going to be popular. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) This is a perfect place to do that. But it's like, I mean, it's kind of the nature of it's kind of the nature of social media. I mean, what is it? It's it's this echo chamber of just pay attention to me, pay attention. to me. Everybody's fighting for the same space. Everybody's fighting for this like, like, oh, hey, check out what I'm doing. It's important. But then you get there and it's like for five minutes and you're just like, yeah, this is lame. And then you move on because it's not holding your attention. I think. I think you're starting to see in social media, and even just in 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 smartphone and smart technology, people are starting to kind of resist it. They're starting to push against it. You know, I read an article yesterday about this. Um, they're making these um, like dumb phones, and yeah, they have like, it. yeah, and there's just like, text and call. Yeah, 135 percent of their Kickstarter was raised when they launched.
2: All it. the phone like, does is text and call. Yeah, just text That's, and
1: calls. <laughs> That's
0: hilarious that we had to go back to that.
1: Isn't that? because I still have one of those in the, in the But people shelf. want it, like like yeah. so 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 obviously. There's I feel like there's a shift that's coming. There it is, yeah, it is. and I think that I think that so. shift is going to be moving back to exclusivity because yeah. I think it really is, and, and right. you've talked a lot about this, Jordan. Is yeah, this idea of exclusivity, this mm-hmm. idea of we have something that you want, and we are going to kind of make it work for it a little bit or we're gonna we're not not everybody is going to have access to this and that's gonna create demand and I think that demand creates value
0: definitely that's the beauty of a 75 seat room it automatically creates demand yep scarcity
2: well and it's the reason you if you go to Walmart and you see the gigantic or Sam's Club see the gigantic Garth Brooks box set nobody else sells Garth (laughs) nobody else has a giant (laughs) box set but guess what his music's not on any of these Platforms, you can't right. you can't even mm-hmm. download it from app from app from iTunes. Yep. Yeah, you literally have to go buy a physical CD. I, I mean I don't know if that's a backwards way of thinking or not. I don't I don't know, but I mean I, yeah. I have For nothing.
0: him, it clearly d- it works because right. he he's pre-wall, but he's got the.
1: Garth Brooks is the he's the highest-selling male solo act. In the United States of all time, I think he's like 16 times like platinum or something like that. It's like like his his that's record insane. sales. He he is literally the, like I was looking at a statistic the other day and it said he is he is literally the best selling artist of all time, solo artist solo. of all time. Well,
2: wow. yeah, yeah, and it's just interesting to think about. I mean, I guess that's what we're talking about. How does that trickle down? I mean, clearly he's the top of the pinnacle, but what does what do what are the bands that come in the roasting room? How how are they gonna, you know, navigate the waters of this world where, on one hand, everything is free and easy, and on the other hand, do you hold things back and make them more exclusive? I mean, uh, the the conversation I remember years ago was that eventually, when all this stuff started taking off, was that the music was going to be the loss leader for you to sell concerts and sell your stuff Mm
1: -hmm. the really expensive business card (laughs) the really expensive business card right
2: and and to a degree that is kind of the current situation which is uh, i mean and maybe i should be ashamed i guess i have changed in the last year i I haven't bought a i haven't purchased a cd in 10 years or more Mm -hmm. i've now gotten into buying vinyl Mm-hmm. Because why? I don't know. It's a cool thing to have. It's fun to listen to. It's cool to have the artwork. The same reason people did for years and years. Um, but I don't know where. I mean, I'm not. I don't know what the where we're heading. Well, uh, I will tell because you. Because even somebody like Taylor Swift will hold back and not put stuff out, but then eventually folds and says, "I'll oh, I'll be on Spotify too." I mean, I don't know what all this the conversation is behind the scenes, but for everybody that tries to kind of not go into streaming neil young and so and so that eventually they kind of go well i guess this is the way it's going
0: yeah or the or the way it is or right the way right it
2: now. is now yeah yeah it may like you said it just like social media this all may be a, a a blip in the longer story
1: yeah well every great movement in any industry happens from the bottom up it never happens from the top down and so i mean you, you you saw that in the nineties with the grunge movement i mean it, it it happened from the indie scene it happened in the underground it didn't happen from executives ex Exec- right. you know mm-hmm. they they're just after whatever's hot you know right. and they're waiting for whatever's hot to ri- rise to the top. I think the same thing will happen in this. My prediction is that um you'll see and I think it'll be as soon as in the next two years you're going to see a distinct shift in um how artists and it's going to happen with the artists first cuz the artists are going to change their expectations cuz it's all about expectations like as soon as your expectation changes cuz right now what you just said is right on it's like artist's expectation is the music is what helps me book a tour mm-hmm. the mu- like i record a record so that i can book a tour or so that i can build a fan base or and and people live in that or artists live in that thing where exposure is Of the highest value. Mm -hmm. But I think that enough artists are realizing how much work and how much time and how much quality they want their recordings to have. And they're realizing that to give that away for free is really ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of like that's, you don't see that in movies. Like, you don't see that in any other like creative industry. Like, no one is like, hey, I'm just gonna give away my paintings. Right for exposure like cuz that's a nobody does that. I think what's going to happen is artists are going to wake up and if en- enough artists wake up and people have been saying this for 10 years but I think it's finally happening is I think you're going to see enough indie artists start to kind of start to culminate a movement that says, you know what? I don't need Spotify. I don't need Apple Music. I can I can connect directly with my fans. And I think that there will be different entities that will help indie artists do that mm-hmm. in such a smooth and effortless way that it's going to it's going to stir things up and I think you'll start to see and it, like I said it'll happen in the indie world first you'll see a lot of indie artists start to kind of move away from those big huge you know corporate you know entities and into these more like grassroots movements like hey you know you know joe starts an app that helps connect you know, artists with fans, and, and, and they don't need to go over here. They can get everything here. And, and, and the artists are actually making money. They're getting compensated fairly for their recorded material. I think you're going to start seeing more of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in five years um, there's a major shift back to exclusivity, uh, where you see more of like a Netflix model, where, where it's, it's Netflix creates original content you know and it's exclusive and you can only get it on Netflix like Stranger Things you can only watch Stranger Things on Netflix you can't watch it on Hulu you can't watch it on any other network mm-hmm. they own it and so i think you're going to start seeing some of these networks in music start to pop up where you have you're going to have exclusive content that's only available through certain vendors and through certain ven- certain um, certain apps or certain uh, companies it's going to take a while to get there. I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow, but I think over the course of the next five years, I think it's really possible. So do you think that, so if you, if you
0: expound that model, so you're saying that there are, let's just, let's just take a label, for instance. Let's say that Merge Records all of a sudden says, all of our artists are only available on the Merge app, mm-hmm. or whatever. And you can, yeah, yeah. To, you can only listen to Matt McCoggan, you can only listen to um, his golden messenger on our app. Mm-hmm. No streaming anywhere else, but you stream it here. Cost of you, you know subscription is four dollars a month or whatever. I mean that's it's still not
2: it's still not a direct payment to the artists for their recorded music in, in the same way that Netflix isn't either. It's still a subscription based.
0: But Merge curates Merge pays the artist directly because. They are their artists. It's the same thing with Netflix. It's a Netflix original content. This is this is Merge Records exclusive content. Now, for all of the indies out there that don't have a label, then they live on Spotify. They live on these places that are like free pro. This this is the right. kiddie pool out here. Right. This is where the real stuff happens. So now yeah. we're back to the A and R situation, but it's but it's a different. It's just a different distribution model.
1: It is. You're going to there's there's this is a big jumping off point because there's so many different places we could go with the conversation. From oh, yeah. Here. Um, I think one of the things and, and I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it. I just want to mention it because I think that it's a, it, it's literally like the deep end. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity in in blockchain DRM. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are companies that are actually researching that right now. You're starting to see um, companies who are using blockchain technology to encode um, certain files or certain media types um, with a certain kind of digital rights management that would allow, it would decentralize basically the entire process of, of creative compensation. So like if a song was encoded with this DRM, anytime it's played anywhere, it's being tracked right and the artists are being compensated it's so very you're complicated saying it's, it's in inside the song itself inside the song itself so
0: like it is it is literally yeah. you cannot listen to the song it, without it being tracked
1: it's part of the it's it's probably encoded above like you know 20,000 hertz like there'd be some kind of Weird coding in there that would uh, would would be. I mean, it's that's why I said I don't want to like spend a ton uh, of time on this deep stuff, man. But it's really deep. But there's people working on that stuff right now, and I think that I think that's really the future of all economy. And I know that's a huge thing to say too. But I think decentralized economies are really where we're heading. And I think for creatives to be able to be compensated directly for their work, which what is what you're talking about, Trevor. I think that is right on. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as artists have the power to decide where their music goes, how their music is played, how their music is traded, and how the people who help them make their music is compensated. I think once that gets in their hands again, you're, that, that changes the game for everybody. It changes the game for everybody. That does. And then it's not a record label anymore. At that point, it's a, distribu- a distributor. Sure. And the distributor will have a r people. Because the distributor is going to have to decide what artists they want to promote and what artists they want to. And then they're going to be compensated as the distributor, not as the label. They'll be paid after the artist instead of before. Deep stuff, man. Yeah, it's really deep. Like I I said, I don't want to spend a ton of time on that because that gets way into the deep end. Well, Another thing that
0: can happen, and this is just spitballing, but if you have the ability to track, you also have the ability to turn it off. Yes. Which means you could basically say, "I want to play my track in this market only," or "I want to blacklist this area." You like cannot, my files
2: don't work at X.
0: Right, like for instance, countries, you, like, regions, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah you could say, "I want to blacklist this region," or "or this specific location." You know, wh- wh- what about like freedom of speech, it, man? P- I want my stuff to be heard Capitalism. where I want it to be heard, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it, but it gives but it gives the freedom to the artist to say no, where it's not yeah. been that case before.
1: No, and really, and
0: I mean, until after the fact. Sure.
1: And how it all plays out is going to be the thing, because like, because it could be very, it could very well happen where the labels get in front of it, and they are able to like get a hold of it early on, where they can control it again, and they can be the the gatekeepers as they used to be. I don't know if that's necessarily the answer. I would really love to see the artists have more of a voice. Part of the problem that you have right now, especially with the streaming royalties compensation issues, like I was just talking to someone the other day, is that you've got, so, so sound, extran- sound Exchanges, uh, they just posted the royalty rates end of last quarter of 2017. It's .0033 cents. Is, right. That's like the royalty rate. So it's not even a penny. It's not real money. It's, like, it's yep. like fake money, right? And then you have PROs who are, if you're assigned to a label, they're collecting your royalty based on the terrestrial radio Rate, mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to change. Right. They they are so set in the way that they've been doing things all along that they're just looking at streaming as radio. Well, this terrestrial radio rates are based on your audience size. And so if they're taking that information from Spotify and they're saying, oh, well, you only had 20,000 people listen to your song, so we're going to give you the terrestrial radio rate for a 20,000 you know, capacity transmitter.
0: Right. Which is nothing. But it's That's no, a small it's, town it's, transfer. It's, it's
1: yeah. insane the way that they're doing yeah. it, and it's because these guys don't want to let go of the old model, right? And they got to, they got it. It's got to burn. They yeah. got to burn it down, and they got to start something else mm-hmm. because the artists are the ones holding the bag at the end of the day, yeah. and it's it's not fair. It's not fair to them. It's not. It doesn't respect their um, their voice. It doesn't respect their um, investment. You know, I, yeah. I think I think we can do them better.
0: Yeah. This this has been a this has been a conversation for the since recorded music started. Oh really. yeah, really. I mean, since they <laughs> figured out how to, to make a phonograph, someone's been exploited. Yep. based on based well, right. on I their mean, artistic value. You know, in the
2: seventies and eighties and before, it was people griping about the you know the labels holding all their money.
0: But this this new technology might be able to free a, a select group of artists from that. Yeah, it's not going to free everybody from that because there's still gonna be a lot of people that want to try to make music and they're not gonna be able to make money doing it. Like, uh, make a living making music. Yeah.
1: But artists also need to realize that they're the ones holding the keys. Like, I think if enough, if enough artists woke up and they realized that, like, they're the work, they're the label, they're the slaves. Like, mm-hmm. like, they're the ones who are building all the stuff. They're the ones who are making it. They're the ones, they're the product. Like mm-hmm. they are the they they have more power than they realize if they would just wake up to it. Sure. And I think if they woke up to it and they realized, well wait, we want to have a say in where our how our music is traded, how our music is played, how our music is translated. Like mm-hmm. I think that you get enough artists that start pulling their music from Spotify, you get enough artists that start pulling their stuff from, from these, these big huge corporate entities. And like I said, that doesn't happen from the top down. We're not talking about Kanye. Like, like like cause, cause this is the other issue, is like, you know, Kanye tries to start title and he's like, oh well, I'm gonna start title. It's gonna be more fair compensation model for artists. Like, nobody cares because it's Kanye. Like Kanye's not money. hurting for the money. Like right, yeah. nobody believes that. That story is not believable. But if it's like, you know. Like, great local artists, I'll give, like, if it's Sandra Blue in a van touring their butts off across the country, and they're on a, a, a Facebook video saying, hey, we're pulling all our music off Spotify, and we want you to go to our direct source because that helps us out, and you're still going to get the same great music, but we're gonna, it's going to help us out. That's a believable story. Mm-hmm. And sure. that's something that the fans will support. And I think if you have enough indie bands that start doing that and start moving their music away from those mm-hmm. those, those huge corporate entities, it's going to shift things. It's going to move things.
2: Well, and then there's the other kind of mildly, possibly unpopular opinion that um, <laughs> everyone, every human being, has the right and the ability to make art of any kind. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should be a professional at it or are good enough to make that their living. So, you know, kind of the market sometimes works these things out, which is if you are undeniably amazing at your craft, you're probably going to be able to mostly make a living at it as long as you you make an attempt. But there will be plenty of lower tier people who are going to fall away, just maybe partially because of they don't they're really have a great. sustaining power, and they're not that yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, there's drive and there's talent, and you can have all, you know, you can have all the drive in the world, but if your stuff kind of sucks yeah. and nobody likes to listen to it, or you're not entertaining, or whatever, the, it, like I said, the market kind of takes care of itself. Same as
1: it ever was. Though. Well, sure, I mean, sure. I mean, yeah, um, sure.
2: But I just mean I think that now, especially with home recording technologies and the fact that you. Anyone at any point can make an album, whether it's as good of quality as something that you recorded in Nashville, or whether it's something that sounds like you recorded in your home, you can sure put together an album. Um, So now that that has just opened the gates to open up Spotify and see that there are thousands upon hundreds of thousands of musicians, um, but only so many are going to get to kind of do it for a living, right?
0: But things are still word of mouth. Things are still you hear new artists all the time from friends from emails from you know if you like this you'll like this like that that whole idea i mean, this could this could go on for days to talk about how good digital music has been for discovery for artists that have you know that that are in the shadows but sound just like another artist but are just not as good but boy they could be kind of good yeah
1: and that circles back to what we said at the very beginning, there's a lot of good things that have happened. I think there's an expect, it's all about expectations. So like if you have, um, uh, like, like I think it's good that artists are biv- bivocational. Like I don't think that's a bad thing. I mm-hmm. actually think that's really good. Like you have, you have more hobbyist artists or, or kind of lower level artists that are going out and gigging and who are taking a risk or they're or they have a youtube channel or they have some kind of outlet where they're doing things you know they're not going to be you know the next big thing but the fact that they're doing it and that they love it and that they enjoy it like there is something to be right. said about the yeah. enjoyment of creating art sure and i don't think i think that's one of the good things about the pr- proliferation of all this technology and all of these things i think the fact that someone can discover there's like a self-discovery in that it's like i can discover this talent that i have and i can you know mature in it and i can grow in it and i don't have to you know get a man pay pay a manager and you know go into the studio for ten thousand dollars and do that i can do this all at home and kind of Mm -hmm. learn myself i think that's an advantage i don't think that's a bad thing i think that's a really good thing i just think there's a I don't want to call it a line, but I do think there's like kind of like sort of a, a cutoff. And I think that's based on expectation. I think there's a place where an artist's expectation shifts from this is fun and this is for me to this is my this livelihood, is my livelihood. Mm-hmm. And this is what I want to do. And where you get into trouble is. And this is a, a, another thing that's same as it ever was, is you have a lot of people who are really good at marketing themselves that aren't necessarily really good musicians. You're really successful.
2: You probably see that a lot here. I mean, and it's I'm. An incre- it's not to down to an incredible degree. Yeah, right, sure. The yep. number of people who want to be booked. Yep. In the space. And so there's yeah. a lot
1: of people who hustle, and they can sure. they can put a good hustle on, and mm-hmm. they can make a lot of things happen. But I, I don't. I mean, in my opinion, there's a lot of those that aren't that. They aren't artistically viable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then there's some artists that are really artistically viable who don't have those gifts and talents of self promotion and self you know management and they really struggle Mm -hmm. and i think that that for me is and the market does sort it out but it is it is kind of heartbreaking especially when you see people who are like genuinely like just legitimately talented and you wish you could see them kind of take it to the next level but they just don't have that prowess of of marketing and and all that so
2: and instagramming their salad
1: And there's and those are the people (laughs) and those
0: are the people that I can't book that I want to, but I'm like I just I can't sell you. Right. Want to, but what can I sell here? Yeah. You know. So that's that's the kind of the sad part of this whole situation is, it's at the end of the day it is a transaction. I do have to be able to sell you as a product. And marketing
2: is important. I mean, because if you don't have a, a well produced video to show of them performing, and someone has never heard of their band name. They're not going to just show up for Steve and the Carls or whoever the band is (laughs) that's coming in because, you know, if if they haven't taken the time to make a video or have an album or whatever, you have nothing like you said to sell. Yeah. So, so the all it's it's crazy the amount of because the market is so saturated. You really have to. You do have to. I think try to get your
0: marketing figured out because to begin with yeah like when you first start right when you first figure it out you're like oh i need to do all this stuff and then when you get to a point when people are starting to pay attention to you right then you start to be like all right well am i roll it back a little bit do i want to be more secret or Mm. like how did how did the hidden hospitals i mean if you track them all the way back did they start like everyone else does and try to put as much crap out and then dial it back? Or are they always the secret thing?
1: Yeah, them as a band, uh, their history as a band, um, so my <laughs> kind of a weird connection I have with them is they, they were originally from Western New York when I had my studio in Western New York. And so Dave, the singer, he was in another band called Demeria. And they were kind of an a indie rock, um, kind of mathy indie rock mm-hmm. band and were really popular in our area. Um, and I kind of followed them, um, through most of the 2000s, like kind of time frame. Um, and then he moved to Chicago and kind of started the hidden hospitals thing. So he had had kind of, a, he had had a, a band that he sort of did the label thing with. He had done a heavy touring with, he had done heavy marketing with. And so he had already kind of, um, I think explored all those avenues in what he was doing, um, with Demiria. And when they started hitting hospitals, because I was just reading an article the other day about them, and I think when they started, they were very intentional mm. to when they even started the band to kind of have everything be more held back. Uh, it was kind of part of the pers- kind of part of building the persona, I mm-hmm. think, of of that. Um, and so I think it comes down to just intentional. Yeah. And just being intentional with it. And because it's still strategic, it's still marketing. Like it's, mm-hmm. like even though it's not visible, it's very thought through. Mm-hmm. And it's very inten- you know, intentional would be the best word I have for it. Sure. It's, you're still, even though it's not as visible as, you know, your Instagram <laughs> salad mm-hmm. or whatever, it's, it's still, uh, there's still a plan. Yeah. Still a, a, um, you're still working towards something. I think that's really more, I don't know if it's the how as much as it is the there's a goal, mm-hmm. and this is the goal, and as long as you keep that in focus, I think, and, and that's in everything. I think sure. I think that's keeping, keeping your goal and your vision in focus in anything you do, I think is really, really important.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Thanks for, for having me.
0: For coming on and we, I, I would I would love to talk for the it's next an endless conversation, man. It's yeah. an <laughs> endless conversation. There's for it to so stop. It is, but we will uh, we'll call it for the day. Uh, but dude, thank you for your insight.
1: No, thanks for having and me. The, it's been really great, and yeah. I love the roasting room. I do. It's 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 exciting to see something like this happen in Bluffton, um, and and I think there's there's even greater things on the horizon. It's yeah. awesome. Thanks, Kevin. I've got some hidden hospitals to play on the way out. Let's do it. Well, hey,
0: Roasting Room Soundboard Podcast. I'm Jordan Ross.
1: I'm Trevor Harden. I'm Kevin Brusher.